Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the DBM Production Empire. That's how you know it's good. You're listening to the DBM Production Empire. Back with content. Millions of downloads. Taking the world by force. Join the Empire today at dbmpe.com. Groovy. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be listening. Hey, this is Joe Buchanan <laughs> on the David Vox Mullen Show. Woo! And I have a very special guest with me right now. He's not actually on a stage in a club singing. He's actually sitting right here. Yes, yes. So it's we are weird. listening to some music from a very new, actually brand new project as of the beginning of July. And it's kind of cool because... You started work on this project and it came together like that. I mean, you you decided you were going to do this project. It was like what a couple of weeks later you had it done. Right? No, nothing like that at all. Uh, this is probably the longest I have ever worked on a musical project in my life. Um, so what, what yeah. took so long? Uh, well, a lot, a lot took. Uh, a lot of stuff happened, man. Um, let's see. I think it was two years ago. I think it was two years ago. You and I sat down and said, uh, "Let's let's do the uh, the first the first uh, David Vox Mullen solo album since uh, my time." With, yeah. So with let's the back band. this up a little bit. All right, all right. Let's go back to your your roots. You were born in what year? 1977. You came out playing the guitar and singing. I think uh, just about. Right? <laughs> uh, you've been into music pretty much your your whole life. Yes. Uh, yes. What was the first song you ever remember learning how to play? Whether it was piano, guitar. Actually, uh, the first thing I remember playing was um, a five-finger scale hmm. on a piano, and I couldn't have been more than three years old. Was that something you were taught or yes. something you just figured My out? mom had one of those little, you know, children's-style uh, pianos, like one octave, one and a half octave gotcha. pianos. And she used to have um, a coffee can, like a, like a Hills Brothers or Folgers or whatever, when it was big in the 70s or 80s, uh, filled with, like, chips and pretzels and things like that and she showed me starting with my thumb you know on the c how to play a scale all the way up and all the way back down and and i totally have vivid memories of this but every time i would play it correctly she'd give me a it was very pavlovian very much like a dog (laughs) but uh maybe it was a doggy treat right right who knows who knows they were amazing but uh (laughs) i just remember playing the scale uh, and i i just have total uh visual memories of, of my hand on the little keyboard and playing the scale up and down and, and getting the snacks and just loving the uh, the feeling of, of not only the sound of if I go this way, it goes higher. If I go this way, it goes lower. Um, 
and just controlling sound. Yeah. That was such a big deal for me as, as such a small child. And then my mom was a big guitar player, and so she just the house was always filled with live music. Um, she would play guitar. My uncle would always play the piano. And it would just be this thing where I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to let me try. Let me play it. You know, and so that's, that's pretty cool. So what you're basically saying is that you've always kind of been a control freak. Very much so. Very <laughs> you much don't want so. it this way. Uh, so do you have a recollection or a memory of the first song you were able to actually be able to figure out? And... Um, well, I mean, the, the, I mean, they start off simple. Like, you know, Mary yeah. Had a Little Lamb, I think, was the okay. first song I played in piano lessons and things like that. Uh, but as as time progressed and I wanted to play like real songs. <laughs> Um, I, I can't remember for the life of me what was like the fr- maybe like Lean on Me or something. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, some pretty really simple straight right? chords. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The first Noel, you know, yeah, happy birthday. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So fast forward, how old were you when you decided, hey, I, I really want to be in a band. I want to write music. I want to really pursue stuff like this. Well, uh, let's see. Probably in junior high, I'd say probably about. 12, 12 years old, I I decided I wanted to be uh, a musician, a songwriter, um, and I think I wrote my first song when I was in junior high. It was a terrible, terrible. We piece have of music. a recording. No, we of do those. not. <laughs> oh man! I hope we don't. Uh, no, no, no. It was it was it was called "I'll Be Your Friend," and it was just um, a really simple ballad type thing i don't know if you ever if i've ever played it for you years i don't ago. think I don't i've know. ever heard it no. we should we should make it clear yeah. i mean i've known you for a very a long, long time. time yeah in my early days of, of playing music and stuff that's how we connected yeah i was um, there at your birth wait, yeah. whoa that... <laughs> <laughs> no i wasn't really no um so 12 yeah. so yeah so you wrote yeah. your first song at 12 so in your yeah. mind's eye Mm-hmm. What did what did it do? You remember back in those because we all dream when we're young, right? Of sure. what we're going to do and what. Sure. What did it look like? What did your music career look like? Well, I mean, as a kid, I was a big fan of uh, you know, like Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny that you say that because when I heard your record for the first time, when I popped it in and and really listened to it, this is what it reminded me of: the your very first track. Yeah, <laughs> very well, yeah. No, no, I don't think the song reminded me of Thriller after that, but just the way that you started out your Yeah, well, your it's it's interesting that yeah, I mean that's it's one of those things where it it was it was a bold choice. I mean, most most independent artists don't do the theatrics that I decided to go with. And yeah. you were a, a big inspiration of that because you and I always love uh theater of the mind and creating a a visual audio soundscape that people can kind of put together. And I just thought wouldn't it be fun to to create this um, almost like a character uh, experience. Yeah. So at the beginning of the album, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to put uh, labels on it so people can kind of make their own uh, observations. or. or and that's actually it, what you, know. you heard at the, the front of this podcast yeah. was the, the beginning of that. Uh, were you saying like uh, theatrics and stuff? You're calling me a clown earlier. Is that what you were kind of getting at? You kind of no, I just just your funny guy. That's all. <laughs> Hanging out with you reminds me of <laughs> being with a clown. Um, so okay, so now we get down the road. So you're 12. You write your first song. You're yes. starting to kind of visualize. You're the next Michael Jackson. Maybe you're kind of seeing this well, in your head. Uh, I mean, obviously Michael Jackson was was. The king of pop. So, yeah. like, the, the, the glitz and glamour of everything and the pomp and circumstance. I didn't think I would ever, you know, go for that. Um, I don't think that's what I wanted. But 
I, I felt that you know he got that. That's what he gets, and and other things. But I was I was a big fan of other artists. I was a big fan of uh, the Police. I was a big fan of Sting, who had just gone solo mm-hmm. uh, in the eighties, and mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously we we also were a. Uh, a Christian family, so we were listening to uh, Christian contemporary music at the time. I was a big fan of Michael W. Smith, uh, Amy Grant. Um, uh, I really liked what Michael W. Smith was doing back in the day with with a lot of the songwriting that he was doing. Um, I and, and and to see that he was uh, writing songs um, that could arguably just be just things that he was passionate about and and i was really blown away by that and i thought wow he can he can it's it doesn't just have to be about girls it doesn't just have to be about money it doesn't just have to be about sex uh and you know there's a place for all of that stuff in our lives but um but i felt like wow he just he was doing what he wanted and i thought i i i'd like to do that i'd like to be able to just sing songs that i wanted and and um you know for any artist it's always been a, a struggle of uh, do I do I do the song for me? Do I do the song for the audience? Mm-hmm. You know what is it all about, and and uh, and whatnot. So that's that's always been a an interesting mountain that I've climbed throughout my life. Do you find yourself um, challenged by these artists that you were influenced by? <laughs> there was definitely a time when when I was definitely challenged by them. Um, I tried to play a lot of Michael W. Smith. I tried to play a lot of Michael Jackson, John Cougar, mm. um, you know, all, all the bands that I liked growing up. Um, I, I was able to play those songs, and, and, and I really liked those playing styles. Um, uh, obviously, I, the one band I haven't mentioned, obviously, was U2. It was a huge, was, yeah, huge influence. I was going to see how far. So we're at, like, nine <laughs> minutes into the podcast, okay? This has got to be a record, right? Yeah, we're talking yeah. music. How far we're going to get before you two came up? In fact, there's a, and we're going to get to your new uh, EP here in a little bit. But there's actually a song on there. Speaking of you two, that we'll talk about. Sure. But so you're influenced by these artists. You're learning how to to really hone your craft. Mm-hmm. You're learning how to do it better, and and you're learning from some of these artists to go. This is what I want to do. This is not necessarily what I I like or what I want to do. Right. Uh, so what, how old were you when you got into your like your first band? Your first so. I right out of high school, I I, I pursued um, a solo music career uh, under a different name, and uh, it Snoopy, was, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it uh, it it went about a block. Um, mm. You know, I I did go down to Nashville, which is where all um, you know desiring uh, artists want to go. Like, if you want to write a screenplay, you go to L.A. If you want to be a musician, you go to Nashville. And so I, I went down to Nashville, spent some time down there, and met a lot of interesting people. Uh, wrote uh, a really interesting song with a really fantastic uh, songwriter out there. I'll even uh, mention her name. Her name was Amy Wetzel. She's a mm. fantastic gal, and uh, uh, she uh, she and I wrote a really nice piece. And um, I came back to Chicago, recorded these songs, and you know pitched them to different record uh, companies. Um, had some slight interest with one company that shall not be named. Uh, and then it ended up uh, just not working out in my favor. So uh, having to kind of uh, come home with my tail between my legs felt very um, humiliating. Hmm. But, um, and I, I, at that point, I had my own place. Uh, I had moved out of my parents' house, and I was living on my own, um, trying to make ends meet, and I was I was starting to battle some depression. And I just... Uh, I, I just about threw in the towel musically. I was going to just say, forget it. Music didn't work for me. I tried it. I'm going to quit. Um, and then I was speaking to uh, a really cool guy 
who at the time was just doing uh, graphic arts for uh, Christian contemporary musicians. Mm. Uh, his name was Craig Mason. Uh, he was doing the, uh, the digital uh, development for a Michael W. Smith like single. Back then, in like the yeah. early '90s, you're dealing with CD-ROM and cool technology. So he was he was a part of that. And he said to me, he goes, you know, you know, the way the music is going, you should definitely be in a band. And uh, I said, really? You, you think so? He's like, oh yeah, you, you gotta you gotta definitely you know get a band together. I said, oh okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll try that. And so I went online and started searching for musicians, and I ended up finding amazing people, and we ended up forming uh, what would then become a band that took over my life for a decade. Mm. Yeah, um, it was the band was called Slipstream. Yeah, and I met uh, a guy named uh, DJ Hatula, uh, who uh, was a phenomenal, phenomenal, he still is a phenomenal drummer, and uh, we talked about putting a band together, and we did. Uh, his brother Dylan was a guitarist. Uh, he came in, and we started working uh, on writing some songs, and we immediately uh, just hit the ground running. We were um, writing and recording and performing, and it was just it was just off the walls. It was uh, an experience that I had not had before, being in a band and uh, you know performing in front of crowds with 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 a full band it was it was it was very very exhilarating and i just i loved it i loved it loved it loved it so a full decade so you get the, this band together did you see where did you see yourself going from the beginning so you know when when you are a young 19 20 year old uh, i think this was back in like 1998 so i was about tw- i was 20 21 um we we just we wanted to be the next big thing. We you know I wanted to be U two. I wanted it to be um, Bono. I wanted to do that, and so uh, very um, unaware we 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 went down the road of writing and recording and producing. And our very first album uh, was a self titled Slipstream album. Um, I I did a lot of Bono impersonative type stuff and it uh you know looking back i'm kind of like oh why did you do that you know <laughs> yeah um, but halfway through our second project i i started to kind of find my own voice mm-hmm. which um i think a lot of the times i did the the uh the bono type singing uh, to um uh, to deal with insecurities you know to, to hide uh, who i am well if, if i'm not really singing like me then maybe you know people if they don't like it that doesn't hurt so bad or whatever but uh, but I, you know, matured through that and learned and grew. And uh, 10 years later, we had uh, three albums and an and a anthology album that kind of did our whole career. And in 2008, we just kind of said, all right, you know, we're, we're ready to kind of pack it up. You know, we all got married, had kids. Um, we... Uh, I'm sorry. To answer your question, the goal was to you know to make it big, to make it to to do that for a living, mm-hmm. and um, we we had uh, sat down with uh, two uh, record companies, uh, one of which you were a part of that uh, mm-hmm. meeting, and they both said the same things, which are you know it's it's not cheap, yeah. <laughs> and and the money's not really like there. Um, you know, it was it was very eye opening. Um, you know, there, there's a great veil behind uh, corporate record industry and and what artists are actually 
living on. And um, it was a very eye-opening experience. And, you know, we were all in our, you know, mid-30s and, and just kind of realizing, you know, hey, man, I got a mortgage. Hey, I got a car payment. I got to take care of my kids, you know. And we all kind of sat down and said, well, this is what we wanted. It was to, you know, to get to this point. And uh, we all just kind of said, you know, it's, uh, it's not right. It's, it's, not, it's not good for all of us. There was five of us in the band. Um, so you, know, you figure the, uh, the record label loan, which is basically what it would have been, uh, would have to be, you know, split out by five ways. And it was just, it was just, at that point, we just did not see the, the benefit in, uh, pursuing that. And so when you, when you don't have a drive to continue, there's really no drive to keep making music. And so I think that's kind of what happened to the band. Yeah, and I think when you sat down with the record companies, uh, it was good in a way because information is power, right? Yes. Understanding what this road's going to look like. But I think it was it was very discouraging at the same time because you'd sure. worked so hard. You put 10 years into this. Yes. And you did have some accomplishments. But oh, yeah. Looking, we had television appearances. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it was it – was, we performed all over the U.S. I mean, I have – uh, my one of my greatest and worst experiences was playing in Maryland. Hmm. Um, we we you know we we toured out there and uh, uh, admittedly I was uh, drinking a little more heavily than I should had and uh, water uh, uh, not quite <laughs> but um, incidentally it's something I I have never done since but it was uh, it, it affected my ability to be a performer and it was it was. Utterly embarrassing, utterly humiliating um, to be so far away from home and to know that you kind of crap the bed a little bit. It, it, it was it was pretty hard. Uh, I think I actually stopped drinking for a solid year after that because I was so ashamed uh, that I uh, that I had gone through that. And um, but yeah, so I mean, we 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 ex- we had great experiences. The problem, and I often talk about this, is that um, when we were in the moment. We never really, or I can't speak for the other guys, but I never really enjoyed the moment. Mm-hmm. I was always worrying about, okay, we got to get this show done so that this next thing we can do. And then we got to do this next thing so that we can do this next thing. And so I, I never once looked at it in the moment and went, hey, this is fun. You know, and so as an adult now, I look back and go, man, I, I had some great memories, but, you know, I really wished I would have enjoyed them in the moment. Yeah, you think sometimes, especially in something like this, where you're you're expressing your vulnerabilities, you're you have these certain dreams of mm-hmm. where you want to land, where you think you should land, and you kind of miss those moments that because you're accomplishing things that a lot of bands would have given their left arm sure. to be able to do, yeah. but you can't. You're not enjoying those moments because you're thinking your success is here, way yeah, up here, very much and so. if you don't hit that plateau then none of this matters. Yeah, I mean, limo rides, hotels, all that stuff. And it's like, I just completely took it for granted. Took it for and Things that when I was a kid going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I get to go in a limo and they put me up in a schwanky hotel and they put me on TV. Oh, gosh, that's what you wanted. Um, you know, you don't know as much as you do. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, looking back at that going, wow, that, that would have been a really good marketing opportunity and that would have been really yeah. good to you know promote myself. And, but, you know, whatever. I, I just didn't see things that way. Well, plus I think one of the things that we tend to overlook when we're dreaming is all the hard work. Yes. So you're exhausted yes, when you're out so. trying to make this happen and you're, you're doing the legwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being on the road isn't easy. Nope. It's very, very tough. And so sometimes it's not even a fault of yours that you forget. It's not even that you forgot. It's just that you're too tired yeah. to even focus on that. But it, it's interesting to me that at the 
pinnacle or at the the top or or the peak of of the success of the band where you feel like you're kind of at that that we're going to fall off the ledge and it's all going to be great downhill from here that's when you were the most miserable yeah yeah ironically uh as we got and i've never really even talked about this uh on a public level but um i would say probably that last year of the band uh performing and, and 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 playing around I uh, I found myself just not not feeling my heart in it anymore. Uh, and it's a very very awkward thing. And I know you've talked to tons of musicians, and, and maybe some have shared that with you. Um, it's a very strange thing because you you build this this brand, this this basically this entity um, that you go out and share share with the world. And um, I I I couldn't be proud of it uh, at that point. I felt like we weren't producing anything new um it started feeling very stale um i noticed that uh, some of the venues that we were playing you know you, you can't help but notice they always say you see the same people coming up as you see coming back down uh, and i started seeing kind of a, a downward turn of, of some of the venues we were playing again and just the um the acceptance of well you know that's what we're going to do now i just i i, f- I was still hungry I still wanted more for our band. I still wanted more for myself. And I saw that it was going the wrong direction. And so I knew that it was, it was, it was definitely that inevitable day was coming sooner than I had hoped. And I think when you're, when you're doing that kind of work and you're pouring creatively into creative, creating stuff is very exhausting. Yes. And it does take it takes a part of you with it. And so I think if you're at that at any length of time and you're not properly taking care of you, you get that glassy eye, that nobody's home oh, yeah. look that you start to. And and I think what ends up happening is your fans start to notice that, too. Very, and then yeah. they start to feel like uh, you're not really in it. And yeah. then they kind of aren't in it. And you kind of see that. you. So you could you uh, in conversations with you, you could see it was starting to unravel. Mm. There's a part of you that wanted to, to stop the thread. Right. But there was another part of you that was like, well, I don't have enough energy right now. It's exhausting. Yeah. The other guys aren't, they're kind of have other priorities. Yeah, they have in their, their own their things lives. going on. They're not where I'm at mentally. And it's not, not to say that they were better or worse, just at different places in their lives. And so I just, I just saw that the, the puzzle pieces weren't connecting anymore. Was that heartbreaking in a way? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, I love these guys. I mean, to this day, they're still my brothers. You know, yeah. I still, I still talk to them. I still, uh, you know, I still message them back and forth, and we we try to see each other uh, as often as we can. Um, but obviously, as as we've let go and let these lives continue on, we've all kind of gone in, in huge, super far directions and and things. But no, I, I I will forever love these guys. They are they are such such a major part of my life. You know, that there's, it's like, like family. You just, you can't, you can't ignore that. So eventually you ripped the Band-Aid off. Yes. And that was in 2008? Uh, yeah, 2008. Eventually you say, okay, guys. And was there anybody shocked by that? Was there anybody resistance in um, that decision? I mean, there were things that took place. Um, one of the, the band members um, called me on, I want to say it was like Christmas Eve or like, it was like right, right between Thanksgiving and Christmas and was just like, hey, man, uh, I just want to let you know. Um, I'm moving out of Chicago. And I was like, oh, okay, where? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm moving to the East Coast. And I uh-huh. thought, wow, 
okay. And he just, he, he, uh, he had fallen in love with somebody and he had just decided he was going to change his life. And I was, uh, I was shocked. Um, but I understood it. Like I understood, like, as far as the band was concerned, I understood that it was kind of like, Hey, we're not going anywhere. So I'm going to do my thing. And it was like, well, okay. Um, so that, that hurt. I, I, I was probably pretty, I was pretty sore from that. Uh, but, but we all just kind of, we tried to, to continue on without that particular band member at the time. And, didn't feel good. Didn't feel right. And we just said, no, this is, this isn't going to work. And so we all just kind of said, no, that's, that's it. Gotcha. Yeah. So fast forward to today, it's uh nine years later. Yeah. What in the world took you so long? Well, I decided to, to try different things, man. Um, ironically, while, while I was still in the band, the tail end of, of my days with Slipstream, I started listening to podcasts. And I thought it was a great medium, and uh, I it was they were they were really new at that time, and uh, I was listening to um, the Lost podcast, yeah. but with Jay and Jack, who are great great guys who I've uh, you know met online uh, and whatnot, and they're just super guys. Um, and even you and I used to get together and then talk about what they talked about on the podcast and whatnot, and we loved that TV show, and we started yeah. saying, you know. There's not enough uh, TV show banter uh, going on. This was, you know, nine years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> Boy, has time changed. But a uh, little plug for Chris Hardwick. But we uh, we just said, you know, maybe we should uh, maybe we should do this stuff as well. And I thought, you know, as a producer, you know, I know how to record sound. And gosh, this is just spoken word. This is easy. You know, we can add, you know, music and cool bumpers. Uh, so I started a, a podcast for a TV show called Flash Forward. Uh, the podcast was called Flash Forecast. Music was kind of secondary at that point. Uh, I did create the theme songs and stuff for these pieces, the original instrumental pieces. And uh, the the podcast world just took off on me. Um I, I it, it it stings, but I think we got more listeners with a single podcast than we had ever done as a band. Wow! And that was it was painful, <laughs> but it was and it kind of shows you where the audience was moving yeah, as well. Very much so, because everyone was so. moving to more a digital platform. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and so um, that took off. Um, one of the producers of the show, uh, a wonderful man by the name of Quentin Peoples. Uh, reached out to us and just really encouraged me to to continue with it and um you know he he and I had become uh, great friends uh, over the years and uh his encouragement uh, helped me to basically create what people are listening to right now which yeah. is the DVM Production Empire which is an entire network of podcasts and podcasters who are contributing and um just having fun creating original content and reaching uh, let's see. As of this year, we, we've had over three million downloads. Wow. Um, so that's just—I mean, never, never. I wish those were albums, but yeah, okay. Right. You know, I'll take I'll take three million yeah. downloads. You know, that's cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's just been a super fun journey. Um, and then I, uh, a friend of mine who I had grown up with, who we had always jokingly said even before the band started. Uh, that he and I were going to, uh, instead of going to college, we were going to go to Second City in Chicago. Mm. And we were going to learn how to do comedy. And we were going to make it to Saturday Night Live. 
and 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 so we had always said, "Oh, we're going to do that," and we never did, obviously. Uh, and not then, yet, not yet, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then about four years ago, yeah, about four years ago. He said to me, hey, I, I started taking an improv class. And I mm. said, you son of a gun. <laughs> we were supposed to do that together, yeah. you know. Uh, so he went uh, for a little while, and then he finally convinced me and, and, and talked me into coming. And I, I started taking improv courses, and I just took to it like a fish to water, man. It was just uh, I, had, I had a natural ability for it. I loved it. And just what I learned exploded and it just, and so all of a sudden now I'm doing comedy and, and now it's, I'm acting and th- things that I never, ever expected to, to do in my life. Um, impressions and, and whatnot and just became this, things that I used to do with the band, you know, in the band space or on the road just being goofy, um, I'm now getting paid to do, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the, the entertainer thing just kind of took off and, uh, I've done uh, public appearances. I've been on television again, um, which again, not as a musician, but as a comedian and stuff like. That. So it's just it's so weird, um, but I I love it. I love it. I just uh, I just booked a, an amazing event uh, at the end of next month. I'm going to be going up to Minnesota to work with a professional wrestling uh, school wow. yeah. uh, to work with them on an improv level to help them deal with um, you know creating characters and how to how to yes and uh, situations and cut promos and things like that and and uh, j- these are amazing opportunities you know like the 10 year old dave uh, <laughs> is just jumping up and down and that's what i was going to say is i learned my lesson when i was in the band uh, by not enjoying the moment mm. uh, so now and i find this is the biggest irony when you stop worrying about what the next project's going to be and just enjoy the moment think your skill level raises mm. and not only do you perform better like you said i think people either consciously or subconsciously are aware of that they're in tune with that and they're drawn to that and ironically you just end up booking more stuff anyway and so i i mean i'm super crazy busy with stuff yeah i think when you love what you're doing it shows yeah. you can't hide that there's it's uh maybe a non-tangible even not something people could put a finger on sure but they want to be a part of that and so yeah you love it and and while you're doing these things you never lost your love for music never and i know you had your fingers in it uh, producing local artists working with artists doing songwriting things mm-hmm. and eventually your dream all along especially after the band had dissolved was you were going to put out a solo record. You were talking to me about this back in 2008. I've got to get the solo record. In fact, I think there's a song or two on there that we may have worked on back in. It may have been that far back. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. So now we fast forward to today, which is kind of cool. And uh, you're the same guy, but now you have the solo record. Yes. And I'm actually holding a physical copy. It is available online, of course. Yes. As is most music's all digital these days, but mm-hmm. this kind of rarity. And uh, there's a great book called uh, Revenge of the Analog, yes. uh, David Sachs, and talks about this idea that physical products, and that's why record stores are blowing up like crazy. I, I, I want to start picking up vinyl again. Yeah. It's crazy. And, yeah. and you and I talked about possibly yeah. down the road, maybe having this on vinyl. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting that the number one complaint of, of uh, record store owners today is that they have to show the young people how to use a record player. Like they don't know how to use right. a record player, but it's it's really really a cool thing. So I've got a physical copy of this record, which you could own as well, and we'll talk yeah. about that in a little bit. But 
Um, so go, let's go through this, this, uh, this EP you've got, you start out with, you got to have it. We heard a little bit of that track when we started yeah. the podcast, mm-hmm. very creative intro. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I haven't heard anything like it since the Thriller record. Wow. It just kind of brought me back, reminded me That's of that. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of felt like I was ushered in to sit down and be ready. And then you take the stage. And... That was, yeah, that was very much, um, um, one of the viewpoints that I thought would work with that piece. Um, I have a couple others too, um, but that definitely does apply. I try not to, to talk too much about that bit yeah, because I really love letting people make their own, draw their own conclusions of what that is. Um, so for everybody listening to this podcast, we just drew it for you, but <laughs> yeah, yes, but everybody don't else tell your friends, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, but it definitely very much is the, here we go. Like, you know, this was, you, you know, you hear the, the, the cityscape and the, and the getting out of the car and getting into the building and, and, and which being a Chicago guy, this is, you know, very, uh, very much a, a big part of who I am. Uh, I love my, I love my city, no matter where I go. I love Chicago. I love what it represents. Um, my family yeah. is very much Chicago centric. I'm not a Cubs fan, but hey, no. you know. <laughs> hey, and and what's really cool is is on the on this CD from the moment you hear the city noise to the the first bass line that plays, I think the temperature changes like six times. So mm. it's really kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. There's construction there too. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so you got to have it. Tell me a little bit about that song. Well, that was a song that was inspired by my first. Uh, probably my first like month uh, with mm. uh, a woman that has since become my wife. Um, when I met her, it was at the tail end of me uh, being very um, promiscuous, uh, enjoying the, uh, the advantages that come with being a musician. Um, very, very empty, mm. <laughs> very empty feeling. And um, without getting, you know, too uh, inappropriate. But I just, uh, I met her and there was just something about her. And you hear these stories all the time with people who fall in love. But there was just something about her that was so different, so unique in contrast to anybody else I was spending any of my time with and giving my attention to. And so uh, it was just the way she looked, the way she carried herself, the the, the way she thought, the things that she did. I, I just, I had to have that in my life. I got to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really was, you know, the whole point. I mean, ly- lyrically, it's, you know, uh, I've never felt love like this before. Um, I've never uh, tried to stop another from walking out my door. Kind mm-hmm. of like, I didn't care. You know, if girls were into me, if they weren't into me, I was like, whatever, I didn't care. This one, I, I needed her to like me. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. just, I, I needed her to be into me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really cared about what she thought. So how long from the, from the moment that you're feeling this way in the, the forming of the song, kind of going back to those moments, did it take before you and her started to date or kind of you well, knew that that? We, we, we started semi-casually. Um, just, uh, in fact, when I, when I met her, uh, we, we were out uh, at the same location. Um, it was like a, a restaurant slash pub type thing. And uh, we had uh, mutual friends, and, you know, they were like, what's going on? What are we doing tonight? I was out with some of the friends. She was out with the other friends. Uh, She called the friends group that I was with and said, hey, I'm over at this place. What are we doing? I, being a nut job, just grabbed the phone and said, who's this? And she said, oh, it's it's Debbie. Who's this? I said, oh, this is Vox. 
uh, are you are you hot? <laughs> she's like, like, it's the middle of July. Yeah, yeah, what do you yeah. think? And she goes, uh, I don't know. Asks, you know, your friend. So I was like, is she hot? And he was like, man, she's pretty hot. I said, all right, well, I'm coming to check you out. You know, to- totally just suave. You know, just totally. You know, <laughs> no, it was awful. I have no game. Uh, and so uh, we we went and uh, and I met her and she. I mean, you've seen my wife, but she has just these amazing eyes. They were just so big and bright. And see, just, this is the thing, though. Anytime we podcast together, we have to talk about someone's eyes. Why is that? <laughs> Why do we always have to come back to someone's eyes? Anyway, go ahead. But yes, yeah, so um, that's a podcast of interest. Plug there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she she just she is just again, it's, I'd never I'd never met anybody like her. I'd never seen anybody like her. And I just it was such a breath of fresh air for me. And I just. I, I needed to mm. to get close to her. I needed to talk to her, and you know whatever. Uh, and so uh, that night we, uh, I, I I manipulated the scenario so that she could give me a ride home. Uh, I told my friend to just go ahead and go. <laughs> He's like, "Do you have a ride?" I'm like, "I'll get a ride." Uh, so I was like, "Oh, my friend left me. I need a ride." <laughs> but she gave me a ride home, and uh, you know we sat in my in my parking lot um, and just talked and just talked mm. and just talked and probably hours and it was just amazing and then um i had a show the next night and i invited her to it and she said well i have a date and i said well (laughs) whoa drop the date and come see me at the show and she was like no i'm not gonna drop the date i'm like well then go on the date and then when you're done with the date come see me instead you know and she was like oh we'll see we bring the, your date to the show. Yeah, right. Well, that would have been <laughs> tough. But um but in the middle of the set i looked down in the audience and she's there and i was like wow uh, so yeah, I was, I was definitely smitten with her. Um, we, there was definitely some struggles in the relationship in the beginning. Um, I had a, a lifestyle that was very difficult to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I did almost risk losing her, uh, by being stupid. And, um, I, uh, I, I sat down with her one day. Ironically, it was the day I I told her that I, I didn't want to live like that anymore. I wanted to commit to her. It was the same day she was coming to kick my butt off, you know, like wow. you're out. So it was just perfect timing. Um, it was literally the, the point of no return. And so, um, and even in that scenario, we both kind of, you know, looking back like, wow, you know, obviously there was some sort of, uh, you know, intervention maybe, so to speak. But we, uh, we decided that we would commit to each other, you know, no seeing other people and, um, and and from that day forward, it, I mean, it was on like Donkey Kong, and it was just, <laughs> and I just never looked back, and a hundred percent committed to her, and I just I think she's wonderful, and you know I almost all of my songs, almost all of my songs are written about her. Um, when in doubt, if I don't have a, uh, anything to talk about, I, I talk about my wife. Um, she is a muse in the most common sense of the word. Um, but yeah, so, so we, we, we got married, um, in 2004, um, had a child the next year in 2005, who is now 12. Wow. Uh, she had a, she had a child before me who is now 20. My gosh. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I just, I just jumped headlong into the, uh, playing house, you know, loved it. It's what I wanted. Uh, I, I had such a crazy life. It was so unstable. Um, she helped bring stability to my life. And so, 
Yeah, that's very. So to answer your question, that's why I wrote the song. <laughs> yeah, anytime you want someone to talk, just ask them about their wife um, <laughs> and how they met. But it's cool that it, the rec, the rec, the EP starts out that way. Yeah. It's awesome that that you uh, well, kinda... considering all the amazing journeys that I've gone through, that she's kind of held my hand through and allowed me to. You know, I, I like to say that I, I'm up in the clouds and she's on the ground and she's hanging on to me so I don't get too lost, you know. Um, she's your anchor. She is. She yeah. very much is is my anchor, my constant. Um, so she deserves all of the accolades that that I could throw onto her for allowing me to express myself in all the ways that I get to do. It's pretty awesome. So as we're uh, as I listened through, uh, you sent me the EP or the uh, digital mixes uh, a while ago. It's really cool that I have the actual physical copy now. Um, what is your favorite song? If you, I know they're all your babies. Yeah, I know that you've poured into all of these, and many of these are are very much older songs from the standpoint that you've. It's been a while since well, they've been written. Well, uh, some of them. I mean, we we should probably talk about you know, the, the, the journey that it took to make the album. Um, but, but as far as like my favorite song right now, we're really pushing the love is a funny thing. Uh, that's technically the first single off of the record. Uh, we, we shot an amazing music video, uh, for that, which should be coming out in tandem with the Mm -hmm. release of the album. And, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's very much, again, I don't want to do a whole new dissertation about how much I love my wife, but it was very much a song about my wife. And, uh, it's 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 just a it's kind of a down home uh, Americana rock folky thing and I just I just love it man and it's just it's a fun song and uh, we're just really excited to have people hear it and and hopefully yeah. it all right so it. when you pick up the record which you'll be able to on July fourth fourth mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because the rest of the country will be celebrating with you um make sure you listen to that song and the and the music video should be out right around that time which i'm yeah. really excited about hopefully before but uh literally i literally just had a conversation with the people who were editing it and uh they just said you know the goal is to get it done before the end of the month so that's what we're trying well, to do so. end of what month we don't know but the end of the month is right. great okay so <laughs> this record uh so you finally get to a place where you can make the album you're we're having songwriting sessions you're yes. you're kind of putting the things together and then and this was two years ago all of a sudden the record almost doesn't happen yes um so i, I knew from the start that i wanted you involved uh you were you were definitely coming on as a co-producer and a songwriter um I, i've known you for decades and know that you are capable of uh, writing amazing pieces of music and, and whatnot and, and i love your production here and so we um, we started that process two years ago. Uh, we wrote a couple of songs. We actually wrote almost like a whole different project. Um, there were songs that did not make it on this album for reasons that I'll get into. But um, we we were working with a couple of different musicians. Uh, we were working with a couple of producers. And um, one of the producers um, who... You know, for for all under for all intents and purposes, uh, was was very heavy handed on the idea of we should do a crowdfunding campaign, and and you were behind the idea yeah. too, and I, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I had never done that before, so I wasn't I wasn't super comfortable. I'm sure you can remember I wasn't super comfortable with the idea, um, just because I I felt like um, people who did that, um, I feel like they don't ever really give back what is deserved. 
for a crowdfunding campaign. It just it just feels like it's like oh shit, here's free money. I, I don't know. It just it just well, and that's why I think when we talked about it, we talked a lot about Kickstarter yeah. and this idea that you have this fan base already. Mm-hmm. So if they would invest early, they would basically what they were doing is buying their record right. before it was recorded. Right, and that definitely is kind of what ended up happening. But um, we went we ended up going with Indiegogo uh, because I I felt that. The the dollar value that we were putting on the project, I think uh, we ended up coming up with, I think it was about eight grand was what we were asking for, um, just to make the the project the way we wanted it. Um, I mean, obviously, the more money you throw at it, the more you can do. But there right. does come a point where ultimately it just becomes um, an exercise in overproduction. So I felt for me to be able to do the kind of album I wanted to do um, – Eight grand was enough, and so we put together an Indiegogo campaign. I made a little video, we put it out, and it. Um, I think we ended up getting a little over fifteen hundred. I think uh, by the time it ran out, and I wasn't upset by that at all. I was I was floored that we got fifteen hundred. I just because again, I had a very low expectation of crowdfunding. Um, so the cool thing about Indiegogo is you you don't have to give that money back. So. Yeah. I thought, okay, so we'll use that. So we started using that money to uh, start tracking. And this particular producer that we were working with um, was charging me for studio time, um, uh, and and he was involved with some of the songwriting. And so things were working out. It was it was going well. You were a part of it. You were there, and we were recording. Uh, we were writing. We were recording tracks. We were getting to the point where we were ready to start. Uh, heavily tracking and anybody who ever records professionally knows, you know, you do a session at the end of your session, you pay for your session. So at the end of each session, I would say, how, what do I owe you? Uh, he'd give me a number, I'd pay him, you know, and we did this probably about six, seven times. Uh, we got a majority of the tracks recorded, almost everything, uh, shy of recording vocals. And, um, we even had a special thing that I'm still angry that it didn't get to happen, but we actually brought the guys from Slipstream together. Mm. They came in and they recorded a track that we were going to put on the project um, as kind of a handoff from Slipstream, kind of saying, yeah. we support Vox going off doing his own thing. Um, and so they came in and recorded. It was a lot of fun. It was it was very cathartic, you know, having the guys in the studio again, and uh, I loved it. And then... Um, at some point, uh, without getting into CD details, he got let go from the studio that he was engineering in, and it, it seemed like things started falling apart. Um, meetings that were supposed to happen just fell through without communication. Um, in hindsight, it's clear that uh, he was obviously going through some tough stuff. Yeah. And unfortunately, this project uh, was starting to feel the effects of that. And so uh, we had we had discussed uh, recording vocals at another studio, uh, which I wasn't opposed to. Uh, and then one of the things before we did that, he was going to come over to my place and we were going to start doing some edits on the tracks that we already had recorded, uh, which I paid for to keep <laughs> to make yeah. that clear. And um, I had said, okay, we'll definitely bring the stuff over here and. Uh, I also want to uh, get a copy of all the tracks so that – because at some point earlier his, his machine crashed and I was just nervous, uh, as any musician would be. Um, I had been paying for session after session and never really took anything home, which hindsight, I was pretty stupid. Um, I should have. But 
uh, I trusted him. But you're you're assuming that the there's safe storage there. It's I at did. the studio. It's yeah. where the tracks belong. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and but and him getting kicked out of the studio uh, just it started raising a lot of red flags. Mm. So I finally got to a point where I just said, you know, give me. I need, I need the tracks. I need the tracks. I'll I'll continue working on them. You know, in my home studio. But I, I would like the tracks. Um, and he started ignoring me, and mm. that was uncomfortable. Um, and so. Anybody who knows me knows that I don't uh, <laughs> respond well to that sort of behavior. And so I uh, I finally got to the point where I was like, dude, where are you? What's going on? I mean, he, he had scheduled to come to my place and just didn't even show up. No no explanation, just nothing. And uh, for like three or four days, I was calling him, leaving him messages. And finally, he responded to me on Facebook uh, because it notifies you when people yeah. see your messages. And I said, hey, just so you know, I... I can tell you're looking at my stuff. Can you please respond to me? Uh, and he just said, you get what you pay for. And I, and it just, just like a, an audible, I was like, are you kidding me? So now, now this is the direction this is taking. Uh, and I just said, Hey man, you know, I really don't want to go this route. You know, please just give me my tracks. My band recorded the tracks. I recorded tracks. There were musicians that we brought in that came in and did a phenomenal job. Um, and he was just very flippant about the whole thing. And uh, just the epitome of unprofessional, really. Yeah. And I was really disappointed. Um, and so I had spoken with, I had spoken with uh, somebody through a law firm, and we had drew up some some legal documents to kind of say, here's a letter of intent. We plan to sue if you don't provide us with the tracks, whatever. Um, sent him paperwork. Um, we know he got them because of you know you're able to track that stuff. Uh, just totally ignored everything. And so I was at a very important crossroads. It was, um, well, people have donated money. Do I, I can't give any money that I don't have back because we spent the money recording the project. And uh, I just, I had to give them something, you know? And so I I pulled my resources together and just said, okay, well, I can I can start from scratch which is inevitably what I ended up doing. Uh, and I started uh, I, I started working on songs that he wasn't a part of writing, so I knew those were safe. Um, uh, but there are a handful of songs that he was a major part of writing that I would love to be able to do, and it's just like, no. I'm, uh, that's not to say I probably can't fight for it in the future, but yeah. right now I'm not, a, I'm not on the legal footing that I'm comfortable with. So uh, I just said, you know what? This is what I do. I write songs. So I sat down and just started cranking out some more music. Um, some songs worked, some songs didn't. I've showed you a few that were like, eh, I'm not going to do that one. Um, but, but yeah, we got to a point where I had five or six tracks that I was happy with and, uh, just said, I'm going to do this. And so I went back to work from scratch, drum tracks, guitar tracks. The irony here is that, uh, and this is my favorite part is this opened up a new opportunity because I was working with another drummer on the project who, uh, I, I love the guy. He's fantastic. Um, but, uh, out of, out of respect for him, I'm not going to get too much into that because he did work his butt off for us and, um, literally pulled like an all nighter in the studio and he, um, you know, and, and his tracks are nowhere to be found. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, have, I, have, I totally believe I'll never have access to these tracks again. Um, his name is, uh, Victor Salazar. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Yeah. Uh, really well-known in, in the music industry. If you are a musician or if you are, especially if you're a drummer, you probably know who Vic Salazar is. 
and he was going to do the drums on my project. And um, he was super sweet and was just like, man, I, I understand. Um, it sucks. You know, I'm, I'm happy, you know, that you're going to keep going. But, you know, I, I totally understand. Um, I reached out to DJ, my drummer from Slipstream, and just kind of told him what happened. And he was um, like a good brother. He he wanted to go get those tracks. <laughs> and I yeah. said, no, 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 we're good. We're good. Um, for anybody who knows DJ, that's very much DJ. But... Um, we, I just, why don't why don't you just do the drums for me? You know, so he he and I sat down and talked about what that would sound like and look like, and he uh, you know got his hands on a on a brand new kit, and we we tried to do something we'd never done before, which is uh, write parts uh, not in the same room together. Uh, technology is so different today yeah. that you can do that, and so uh, you know we would FaceTime or Skype or whatever, and we would talk, and uh, he would write drum parts. Oh, I don't like that. Try something different. Oh, I like that. Do more of that, you know? And so he wrote uh, drum parts for three of the songs on the album. Uh, and then I reached out to uh, our good buddy, Ian McKinnon yeah. over uh, in the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Scotland, uh, who, who is, he's a, he's a fine, fine guitarist. Uh, he plays at his church. He's, uh, he's in a band called the Dunringles. And they uh, they've released some projects, and it's, he's just he's he's a, he's a hoot. I, I love the guy, and so I said, hey, would you be interested in in playing along too? And he was like, eh, let's, let's try it. So yet another musician who isn't in the same room with me. It's so weird, um, you know, being the control freak that I used to be with music, and then having to accept letting other people do things. Now it's I can't even see them. <laughs> you know, I have to just trust that they're doing. Um, but they they all laid down some fantastic pieces uh, and sent them back, and we worked with the tracks. And then I, you know, I waited for my tax season to come around, <laughs> and I took my tax refund and went back in the studio and laid down some really good vocals. And then we went to work on mixing and. And inevitably ended up with what we have here, the Until I Met You project. So Yeah, and uh I know I mean a couple of names you've mentioned, Ian and, and of course DJ, uh Quentin Peoples, a co producer, which yes. is really cool. Yes, Quentin Peoples is a television producer. Yeah. He is a writer, screenplay uh, anybody who's ever watched The Last uh, Ship, The Last um, Ship, Iron Fist eleven twenty two sixty three. Um, yep. Yeah, he's he's done so many wonderful projects and he's working on some more uh with Marvel, if you a little known comic book company. And um <laughs> Yeah, I asked him, I said, have you ever uh, produced an album? Have you ever done music? And he's like, no. I said, you want to? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. So we we, we got him involved uh, there. And then, uh, yeah, so. Bernie Mac also. Bernie Mac. he That's a guy, man, who does not get the credit that he deserves. This is a guy who has been around through the thick of it. Um, Bernie was the engineer on almost all of my uh, early recordings, my early solo stuff. Uh, the first two Slipstream records were were done, engineered by Bernie. Uh, we used Bernie when we worked together yeah. on the uh, Ben Marshall project when we produced that uh, EP. Uh, and so when the opportunity arose for Bernie to be able to engineer for me for these, uh, it was great. It was Bernie's so also worked with some artists that other people, you know, that people may know too, which is really cool. I mean, his history and the uh, knowledge base that he yeah, has. I mean, just, I mean, it's, 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 I can't even begin to go down the list, but Bernie, Bernie has been a major part of contemporary music, at least out of the Midwest, uh, for the last 20 years, I would yeah. say. And, uh, so it was nice to have him be a part of the project too. It felt very fitting, you know, yeah. to have him in there. So, um, 
as I listened to the project, there's a lot of things that I liked. There were um, there were moments in each of the songs that I went, oh, man, I really like what you're doing there. And what's really cool about a project like this is the more that you listen to it, the mm. more that you find different things different that things. you really yeah. you really like about it. Um, a song that I happen to be a part of, but probably my favorite song on the record is Dance With Me. Yes. I, I think the, That's Quentin's favorite, too. Cool. The the uh, you and I worked on that. So I don't know how many years ago. Uh, it's been a yeah in my living room. I remember in yeah. my living room we sat down with the notepad. And we were and here guitar. a few times yep. as well working on that song. Yeah. And um, I hope you don't have any of those recordings. Yeah, I got them somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, d- different demos that yeah, that we yeah, recorded yeah. over the years. But that song, be- there's just that that would always have a special place in my heart just because of the context of mm. the song, uh, what it's about, where it's at, and just meeting honest. There's a there's a real honesty in that song and yeah. meeting the person right where they are. And then of course the uh, very last song on the record, what made you choose of all the songs that yeah. you could have covered of I all know. the songs, I know. what made you um, choose that one? It, well, it's, it's called it's the wanderer, the wanderer, the U2 yeah. uh, cover. Um, it was, it's one of those things where, you know, being a U2 fan uh, and anybody who is a U2 fan, obviously, you know, gets it, but um there was something about that piece of music that it was always, it was always, it wasn't like my favorite song, but it was always out there. You know, it was just, it, whenever it was on, I'd hear it. I, I wouldn't turn it off, but that's a song famously uh, performed by Johnny Cash with the band. And the message that that song is, is arguably one of the most honest, open songs that I've ever heard a man sing um, and Johnny Cash was famous for this, but, but just honest, open, spiritual song mm. that a man could just be that open and honest about. Because a lot of, you know, we, we grew up in going to the church and, and whatnot and, and, and seeing, um, you know, what we would consider, you know, men of integrity and things like that and, and aspired to be like that. Um, but there was something about Johnny that I always felt he just, he exuded honesty. You know, maybe he wasn't very honest in his youth, but yeah. but he admits that. You know, yeah. I mean, he's just just such such a strength that he he showed by being honest and by being humble and by admitting fault and all of that. And so, being getting to a point where you can be honest and just admit, I don't know everything. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I'm just wandering around here looking for answers. I don't. I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I th- when I think I know, I don't know, and um, just, just the 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 ability to to be able to say to your God, you know, I I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, well, I there's just... a real there's power in humility yeah. and understanding, and and I think as you even read through the Bible and as you. There's um, there's a special place, for instance, in God's heart for those that are humble, and those that come and say, you know what, I don't know, I, I don't know how to get there, I don't know what I'm doing, and it's really ironic that to me when I saw that choice of that song on the CP with everything that I know mm. you went through in the production of the CP and putting this together, how it almost didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, all your slipstream days, how when you're at a point where you, you're you sitting down with a record company thinking, okay, this is going to be what turns the, this is the turn that we've been looking for. This is what we've yeah. been waiting for, only to find out that it's actually the opposite direction that you're right. going to be heading. All of those things coming together to bring this EP to date today to bring it mm-hmm. to life today i thought it it could you couldn't have picked a better song wow 
Thank you. Yeah. And, and all of that and just your journey. So we'll talk a little bit more about the EP in one second. We're going to wrap this thing up pretty quickly, but there's someone listening right now who's a young musician. Yes. Uh, they've wanted to do this. This is their dream. They want to figure this out. They don't even know where to start. Some of the best musicians, the best vocalists, the best players are in their living rooms. They don't know how to, to get their music out. There's someone listening now. I think you have provided some incredible information uh, to, to show that it's not all roses. The mm. artists that you hear on the radio, I think it's 2% of artists that you hear on the radio actually recoup, oh, which if is you, if you make just that do, money that they borrow yeah, If you the just label. do a Google search for how much the artist makes in relation to the producers, in relation to the publisher, in relation to the record label. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's a very hard road. It's a yeah. very tough hill to climb. But there's someone listening that really want, they just, they, you have that burning desire. You and I relate to that. Mm. You just got it. The music has to come out somehow. What advice would you give to them today? Don't leave the studio without your master track. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I would say uh, learn learn to be okay with fear. Mm. Um, there were a few decisions that I made uh, based in fear that in hindsight, if I had just not been afraid, uh, I would be in a different place. Not that I don't like where I'm at now, uh, but I may not have had to wait so long to get here. Mm. Um, so I would say don't be afraid uh, of working through the fear. Especially if it's if, if if it's terrifying, learn to be excited by that. Learn to to step out on the stage. Learn to play that first chord. Learn to sing that first note. Um, you know, there have been a few events where I've uh, I've been asked to sing the national anthem in a, in a public address or in a sporting event, and there's nothing more terrifying than that first note. Yeah. But after that first note, you're, you're loving it. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. So, and that, and that has always been the case for me. I, I to this day, I, I've been a performer for well over twenty five, almost thirty years, and I still get nervous before I get up in front of an audience. But it's always after that first beat has been, whether it's comedy, whether it's music, um, learn to to not let your fear of what people think of you. Mm. Um, dictate what you do. I'll be honest. I I struggled terribly uh, before this album uh, with you know how how do people even how do I market myself? I mean, do people look at me? Is he a comedian? Is he an impressionist? Is he an actor? Is he a podcaster? Is he a musician? Is he? And at the end of the day, the answer is yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all of that. I'm all yeah. of that because I love doing all of that, and I can do all of that, and I will keep doing all of that. Um, so. Yeah, don't 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 let your fear of what other people think of your art. Uh, there there are far more talented people than me doing this who aren't getting any credit, and there's far less talented people than me who are making millions. So it's just you can't you can't worry about it. You just have to express yourself, and hopefully somebody will appreciate that. Yeah, and don't be afraid to keep growing and yes. keep learning. There is no arrival. No. I think one of the biggest things that, that I misconceptions I had when I was a kid is I thought there was some kind of magic room yeah. you could get to. There was an arrival place that you could arrive to, and you can't. You're yeah. always growing. You're always learning. And it's never going to look the way you think it's going to look. It, it, it certainly hasn't. Everything that I've experienced has never been the way I thought it would be. And I love every bit of it now. So how I've been listening to this podcast, I've loved it. I've loved getting to know you, Dave, and understanding what went into this project. How in the world do I get my copy of it? 
Well, Joe, uh, <laughs> if you would like a physical copy of the CD, uh, we have a limited run, uh, but they are available still. You could go to davidvoxmullen.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-V-O-X-M-U-L-L-E-N. How do you spell David? D-A-V-I-D-V-O-X-M-U-L-L-E-N.com. Uh, you can see, you see the record album right there on the front page. You can click on that. It takes you to a pre-order site. You can pre-order it. The album does not come out live. Uh, it, it, uh, it will be in some stores. Uh, physically, but again, it's it's not the 90s anymore, so I don't know how strong that's going to be. Um, but it will also be available after the 4th of July, or on the 4th of July, uh, across digital media. So iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, you can find it on all those platforms. Uh, and I hope you do. Uh, please, uh, you know, throw me in your playlist on Spotify. That would really help, um, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, and you can actually, I think you can pre-order it on iTunes now. Yes, yes, I apologize. You can you can pre-order it um, if you don't want to have a physical copy. So we're going to go out with Love is a Funny Thing. Dave, thank you so much for taking time to, to share about this. Thank you. DavidVoxMullen.com She never thought it could be She was sweet, so I swept her off her feet And now she's dancing with well, I know she's thinking about tomorrow And I know that she's pretty damn strong But this beautiful girl, she deserves the whole world And when I'm with her, nothing seems wrong Some people dance, some people sing Cause ain't no love, is a funny thing Well, we move real fast into a new as love is a funny thing, David Vox Mullen, you can pick up his brand new EP July 4th. If you're listening after July 4th, go get it now. What are you waiting for? It's called Until I Met You. You can find out more at davidvoxmullen.com.